In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, this is Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell. Go and tell. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, this is your time. This is time for your word. God, I'm just a mouthpiece. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to get this message across that you put on my heart. I thank you for your precious people that are here that want to come and hear more from the, the word of God. They want to hear the gospel. They want to know that they attend a church where the gospel will be preached so that their kids can hear it get saved, and so grandkids can hear it and get saved, and so visitors that come in can hear it and get saved. And Lord, we know that that's all you. You do the saving. We just bring them to you. And so Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be busy, to go and tell. Tell what's happened in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be uh, uh, impressed with your holiness. I pray that there would be life-changing moments that you, you uh, plan for us in your word and in prayer and before your throne. And that we would be impressed with that, that we would uh, be consecrated to you, uh, Father, that we would be cleansed and ready for service and ready to go and tell. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I want to preach this morning on the theme of personal revival. I recently went and heard evangelist George Griffiths. He is one of my favorite preachers. He's in the top five list. I love that brother. I'm going to tell you why I love him, okay? The Bible says give honor to whom honors do, doesn't it? Uh, well, Brother George has been serving the Lord for, it's got to be right around 40 years. He started his camp in Somerset, Kentucky in 1985. That camp has been going for over 30 years, going on 40, 40 years. And he started that camp because the Lord called him to do it. The Lord called him in the midst of a spiritual atmosphere. It was a, a church service. It was at the time of invitation. He was called to do that. He started that camp because he loves kids. He loves child evangelism. And the Lord has used him over the years to win many children to Christ. Not just that, though. To see many young men called to preach under his ministry. To see young ladies called to be pastor's wives. To see young ladies and young men called to be missionaries. Uh, there's been a lot of people married underneath that little tabernacle down there in the hills of uh, Kentucky. I like Brother George because of this reason. He loves the Lord, you can tell. He's been in the ministry right around 40 years, and he still loves God's people. Smile, it's going to be all right. 
I saw a t-shirt the other day that said, Jesus loves you and I'm trying. <laughs> Amen? You know it's hard to love God's people. The more we spend around, the more time we spend around each other, the more the devil tries to get us to work against each other and get upset with each other and get all balled up, right? He still loves God's people. And I mean, you can tell it. He loves preachers. He loves souls. And he still loves children. After all this time, I've known him for about 10 years, he's still as zealous as what he was. Now listen, I'm not here to preach men. I'm here to preach Christ. But this is the result of Christ getting hold of a a 19-year-old boy and getting a hold of him and calling him out like, like he called Isaiah just to go and tell. And so I look at this guy and I say, here's a guy who still is... He's got that heart, and I want to be like that. I can't preach like him. I can't be like him, but I want that heart that he has at the end of my ministry. So uh, I was listening to him preach, and I said something to the effect that I was asked to sing a couple songs, and I sang my songs, and, and I sat down. And I know this, that when you sing, just sing. Don't talk. When you sing, just sing. I broke my rule. I, I talked. And I said, Brother George is my hero. I shouldn't have said that. Because I sat down and he just took that and ran with it. And I regretted saying it. Because <laughs> I think I embarrassed him, you know. He's my hero. And, uh, and I wanted to just crawl underneath the pew, man. I wanted to hide. Uh, but you know what? I still love him. And uh, he still is my favorite preacher. I look up to him is what I meant by it. And in the course of his message, he said something. And that was the seed for what we're going to look at today. He said that Isaiah... Uh, was a man that was changed because he had a meeting with God. He, he encountered God in a very real way and was changed. Critical scholars, they, they say that the book of Isaiah cannot have been written by one man. So they come up with a theory and they call it Deutero-Isaiah. They say that everything after Isaiah chapter 40 had to have been written by a second author because they're infidels and they're unbelieving. That's what happens when you send somebody off to a seminary they go to a seminary and then all those men take their Bible out of their hands. And uh, one preacher said they take the sword of the word out and they give them a banana back. Yeah. Because they take away their, their confidence in the authority of the word of God with stuff like that. So he said, you know, I, I know they talk about a Deutero-Isaiah theory. And uh, they don't believe that one man wrote it all because they don't believe that it's possible for a man to prophesy and predict the things that he did and see it fulfilled. With the Babylonian captivity, with Christ showing up, with John the Baptist and all that stuff. So he said there had to been two writers. And he said, now we're Bible believers and we, we don't believe that. But he said, I do think there are two men in the book of Isaiah. And I wondered, what did he mean by that? And he said, chapters 1 through 5, if you look at them real quick, you have one man and uh, something happens in chapter 6 and you have a different man. Chapters 1 through 5, if you look at chapter 1, in verse 4, for example, Isaiah's just preaching, preaching along. And uh, he says, All sinful people, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. Now he's preaching against the people of Israel for their sins, for their idolatry. And he's not wrong. But man, he's, he's hard. He's a hard. It's hard preaching. Look at chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3 in verse... Uh, Let's look at chapter 3, and you can read down through there, uh, and you can do that, but I'm going to go to chapter 5, okay? Go to chapter 5, verse 8. He says, Woe unto them that join house to house, 
that lay field to field till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. Verse 11, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night to wine and flame them. And they, they like their music too, and the harp and the, and the vial and the tabret and the pipe and the wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord. And he's just preaching away about the sins of his people and of his country. Verse 18, Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. And verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Boy, ain't that where we live right now? We live in a country where they call good evil and evil good. And, and we could preach on that for a while and talk about how wicked our country is and we'd be right. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse 21. Woe unto them. He's just pronouncing judgment upon them. That are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That's humanism. That's secular education. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. Men of strength to mingle strong drink. And he's just going after it, justifying the wicked for reward. Talking about drunken lawyers and uh, politicians. We could talk about that, couldn't we? Judiciaries. and We could talk about that. But he's just going on preaching. And then something changes in chapter 6. And the man has changed for the rest of the book. You know what changed? He had an encounter with the Lord. And he went from saying, woe unto you, woe unto you, to saying in chapter 6, verse uh, five. Then said I, woe is me, woe is me, exclamation point, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah was changed by what he saw that day. And I, you know, they talk about this vision must have come at the beginning of his ministry. And so maybe it shouldn't be placed in chapter six. I think we need to leave it be just right where it is. Amen. God's trying to show us something. Isaiah was changed after this day in meeting with the Lord. He not only saw the sins of his nation, but God had him take a good look at himself. And so we do have two Isaiahs in the book of Isaiah. We need a similar change this morning, folks. Our church needs a similar change. Change. If we're going to reach our generation with the gospel of the grace of God, we need to have a meeting like this before God's throne and be changed. Because I'll tell you, the church that Beth grew up in and the churches that she was a part of and the youth rallies that she went to and the camps that she went to, the preaching was hard. Men were oftentimes overbearing, oftentimes preaching on all the wrong things, standards, music. Basically, if you came to church, this is how you felt when you left. You felt like you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're wrong. Uh, you felt condemned when you left these meetings. And kids just felt like, okay, my music's not right. My dress is not right. My attitude's not right. All this kind of stuff. And, and there, there have been a lot of fundamental Baptist preachers who have just been mean-spirited with their preaching. And you know what they need? You know what fundamental Baptists need? They need this kind of an encounter. I need this kind of an encounter. I need to preach against the sins of this nation. Preachers need to be aflame with, with the fire of God's righteousness in the pulpit and denounce the sins of this nation. But God evidently said, Isaiah, you're not prepared to do this yet because you need to have a look at your own heart. 
So that when you go out to preach, you preach with a burden, yes, but you also preach with a heart that says we are all sinful and undone before God. We are all unclean before God so that you have a tear in your eye and humility as you preach. It's, it's lacking, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it a turnoff to hear a preacher that's arrogant? Isn't it? I can hardly stomach it. I've heard some preachers, and they just look so professional and polished, and there's no heart in what they're saying, and their, their arrogance is just dripping off of them in the pulpit. And uh, that turns my stomach, and I know it turns your stomach, We don't want to hear from that. But guess what? I think we as God's people, I think we can go around and we can talk about our conservative ideals and and talk about uh, what's wrong with with all the liberal agenda and things like this in this country. But listen, you know, we're right, right? We're right. We know that. But listen, if you have no heart for the people in this country... If you don't want to see him come to Christ, if you're not praying for the lost to be saved, the thing is, is that we need to take a good look at ourselves and recognize that our lives, if you're saved, your life was once an offense to God, to a holy God. And if you are saved, you have to realize that our sins, our willful sins, they are an offense to a holy God. God hates sin. Now, he loves us. He loves us, but God hates sin. Sin. So I have just a few things here that I can, I can see in this passage. I want to I handle it like this. What exactly did Isaiah see that day? Isaiah, his, his, his favorite king, Uzziah, who was a good king. Uh, Isaiah was uh, an advisor to the king. And, and the good king of Israel died. And Israel never recovered after this. The good king died, and Isaiah evidently was broken up about this, and so he goes into Solomon's temple, the first temple, and he goes in there to pray. And when he's in the temple, he sees a vision. He sees in verse 1, the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He's seeing the Lord upon this throne, and according to John chapter 12, we won't look at it, but John chapter 12, verses 37 through 42, he sees Jesus sitting upon the throne. Again, look it up in your own time, John 12, 37 through 42. He sees Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, pre-incarnate, sitting upon the throne, and he sees in this vision, he's, he has this long flowing robe, and it's just filling up the temple. This speaks of his royalty. This speaks of his, of his power. It speaks of the splendor of his, of his kingdom. And it speaks of his holiness because it's high. And lifted up and evidently bright because in verse 2, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face and with twain he covered his feet and with twain he did fly. They had four wings covering their body for modesty and two wings being used for their ministry to fly around. They were flying around the throne in that word seraphim. 
That comes from a Hebrew word, which means to burn. It's a verb. It means to burn. So these are burning ones, evidently being that close to this light, which no man can approach unto. We're talking about the holiness of God. Isaiah sees God's holiness in this vision. And it's so bright that it's, it's high above him. He can enter. And, and the seraphims that are flying around, they're angelic beings, although they're not angels. They're angelic beings. And they're evidently burning up in the presence of God because he's so holy. And just continually burning is what it appears to be, the picture. And they're covering their face and their feet and flying. And, and they're crying out in verse 3 unto one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when they say holy, 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 they're saying it three times because God is a triune being. He is a trinity. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The one that you're going to see, they're all one, but three persons. The one that you and I will see, brother and sister, will be the Lord Jesus Christ when you get to heaven. He is God in a body. And he has a glorified body that still has the marks in his hands. He sits upon a throne bodily now. He still has the, the, the scar on his side. He still has the scars in his feet. But that's who he sees and he, and he sees these seraphim, and, and as they cry out constantly that the, the Lord of hosts is holy, and the whole earth is full of his glory, he says. And as they say this, you, you can just imagine the picture of it, just how moved he must be that the posts of the door of the temple that he's in are moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. He, he's some kind of a heavenly vision inside of this temple that he sees and the seraphim the seraphim one of these angelic creatures will come with a hot coal and put it on isaiah's lips because isaiah is unclean now listen he's a prophet in israel he had the sacrificial system of the of the temple he went through he was faithful to that but he was unclean before a holy god folks don't you know that without jesus christ we are unclean we are vile, we are sinful before God, before a holy God. And this seraphim has to come and take a coal off of the altar, which would be the altar of sacrifice, and evidently probably from a sin uh, offering, takes that coal and touches Isaiah's lips. Now we know it's not a live, real coal. It is live like it's burning, but it's not a real one because it would have burned his lips. This is a vision he's having. But the picture is this, is that Isaiah, you need this fire from this sacrifice, which is a sin offering. You need it to touch you, to cleanse you. So the purpose of the seraphim were to protect God's holiness and to cleanse those that would try to approach God. That's the picture here. Isaiah was impressed that day with God's holiness. He saw the holiness of God in a way he had never seen it before. You know what else he saw? He saw his own sinfulness. Folks, that's what we need. Even saved people. I'm talking, I'm talking to saved people this morning. We need to see our sinfulness. Yes, the lost need to see their own sin. Else they'll never come to Christ for forgiveness. But we need to see our own sinfulness before God. I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But he saw that. The scene produced great conviction of sin, uh, said one man. And his conviction led to his confession of sin. Verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am 
undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. His conviction led to his confession of his sinfulness, of his uncleanness. And there's, sin, there's uh, similar confessions in the Bible just like this. When the Lord finally confronted Job, a broken man, Job said, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That word abhor means disgust and hatred. Job said, when I think of myself now, Job had been lifted up in so much pride that he thought that he was righteous. And when God confronted him, he said, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now that had a lot to do with a lot of things there, but the purpose of this is to say there are similar statements to this in the Bible. That's Job's confession. Simon Peter, there's another man who'd been walking with the Lord, but when he first met the Lord, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Here's another confession. Paul, after living as a Christian for 25 years, said, O wretched man that I am. That's after being saved for 25 years. O wretched man that I am! Exclamation point. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We must be humbled and broken before the Lord, before the Lord can truly use us. That is, I expect for there to be greater days ahead of you. Days of greater faithfulness, of greater usefulness for the Lord, of being used of the Lord to bring people to Jesus Christ for salvation. I expect greater days ahead for this church. More fruitful days. Not just for people to get saved, but for God's people to get thoroughly right with Him. For holiness. To walk as Jesus walked. If we don't grow in numbers right away, although I think slowly we will, I want us to be growing in this. Growing in personal holiness. Talking about personal revival. If you don't have an encounter with God like this, if you're not humbled before Him and broken before the Lord, the Lord can never truly use you. That's what He had to show Isaiah. How do we know the difference between humility and low self-esteem or fixating on our shortcomings? Because I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about just going around all the time putting yourself down, talking about how you're inadequate and you're a failure. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being truly humbled because of your own sinfulness, of your old man, the old sin nature that we all have, and being humbled because we're not really seeing God in His holiness and because when we see all the wicked in the world, we condemn it, but we lack compassion for the world that is lost. Lacking that compassion. What produces that? Being humbled and broken before the Lord. So here's a few thoughts just to talk about the difference between those two, because I'm not talking about how you need to just beat yourself up and how you need to have low self-esteem. That's not what I'm talking about. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he said, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to, be, to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. One preacher said this, make a sober, accurate self-assessment of yourself. We ought to look at ourselves and make a sober, accurate assessment of ourselves and with our giftings, with what we're able to do and with what we're not able to do. We need to be humbled before the Lord. This whole garbage, this whole bunch of... uh, 
of a psychosomatic garbage that, that the world is preaching, saying you just need to love yourself and you need constant affirmation and all this kind of stuff, that's exactly opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says, look at yourself, make a sober, accurate assessment of yourself. Look at your life. Make a sober, accurate... Have you ever been used of the Lord to bring one soul to Jesus Christ? Have you ever been personally instrumental in bringing one person that you can, you can see their face, you know their name, you were personally responsible in bringing them to Jesus Christ? If you have not, you're wrong. If you are not per, per, personally and currently working with somebody to see them get saved and come to Jesus Christ, you're wrong. Look at yourself. Make a sober, accurate assessment. If you right now are currently less committed to the Lord than you were last year or three years ago before I got here, you need to make that assessment. If you are a used-to-Christian, I used to go out and visit people. I used to pass out tracts. I used to give my testimony. I used to give the gospel out. But I don't anymore. Look at yourself. Make that sober, accurate assessment. If you're, I used to get alone with God. I used to seek His face. I used to pray. I used to read the Bible daily. Then say, I don't want to be a used-to-Christian anymore. I want to be, that's what I do now. I want to make a sober, accurate assessment. If you're, the, if you're the kind of person that is down on yourself and constantly beating down on yourself, uh, if you're like me, that's not what I'm talking about. But listen, we should feel guilt and shame. I, that's, that's good for us. To feel guilt and shame and a sense of failure sometimes. If the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, the appropriate response is to feel guilt and shame. If the Holy Spirit says, you are unclean and you're not prepared for me to use you, and I want to use you in a greater way, but you need to sense your own uncleanness and you need to be humbled before me and you need to have a a time of, of a new encounter with God, You need to go and be alone with God and draw a circle around yourself and tell God, I want everything inside of this circle to be clean. Everything in my life that does not please you, I want it out. Will you show me? Will you take the fine-tooth comb of the Holy Spirit and run that through my heart and life and show me what does not please you so that I can be useful to you? If if you've not done that or if you've gotten away from that, listen, the Holy Spirit will draw you to that and He'll do that by convicting you and me. So that we feel a sense of shame and a sense of failure. Again, if you're not currently at least praying for somebody to get saved daily, you're wrong. That is a failure in the life of a Christian. That is what we're here for. That's how God gets glory. We are here to glorify God in the salvation of souls. And it's a job for all of us to do. And we need to be reminded sometimes to get with it. Get with the work. God doesn't, God doesn't say, okay, we're going to measure your success. No, God is measuring your faithfulness. That's what he cares about. 
It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. If you're faithfully praying for the lost, seeking personal revival, reading your Bible, preparing yourself to give your own witness and testimony, preparing yourself to give the gospel, inviting folks to church, praying for the lost every day, uh, doing what you can, then God is looking at our faithfulness. And you leave the results to Him. But there has to be this time where we feel a sense of failure about this. It's not a bad thing. John uh, or Joseph Prince, he's a hyper-grace preacher on television, and uh, he's a false teacher in many aspects. The bottom line about... Uh, this is what he said in one of his books, okay? I'm going to quote him, and I want to warn you about his ministry. He said this in one of his books. The bottom line is that the Holy Spirit never convicts you of your sins. He never comes to point out your faults. End quote. That is a false teaching. That is not correct. That is heresy. Personal guilt should lead us to confession and to cleansing, just like Isaiah here. Personal guilt should lead us to grateful fruitfulness. We don't stay there. But we should feel guilt and shame. But it's not right. Now listen, I'm saying this is incorrect. This is not right. It's not right to say that there's nothing good in you or about you. You could come before God and you could say, woe is me because I am undone. I'm not where I should be with you. I'm unclean. I dwell in a nation of unclean people and all of that is true. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of the hosts. We could say all of that, but listen, it's not right to say that there's nothing good in me and there's nothing good about me. That is not true. We were created in God's image. That image is a marred image. But when you get saved, that image is restored. And you have the Holy Spirit in you who's making you more like Jesus Christ. And we don't pat ourselves on the back, but that's what he's up to, and that's what we have faith that he's doing. But we're depraved sinners. That's true. But not all of us are as bad as we could be all the time. And as we look at a lost world, they're depraved. They're lost in sin. They're blinded by the devil. They're in darkness. They don't understand. And they're sinful, yes, but they're not all as bad as they could be all of the time. And they, they will hear the gospel. And the gospel will change lives. So we should understand some things that are not correct, but we should, we should always strive to be at peace with God because of our, of our sinfulness and our conscience that is bothered by it and strive to be at peace with our own abilities or shortcomings as far as the work is concerned. So what I'm not telling you is I'm not telling you to go around beating yourself down and being depressed. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you to have a encounter with God that is a cleansing encounter with God and avoid arrogance like it's COVID-19 because it's sinful. Jesus hates pride. He hates arrogance. Think about his teachings. Let somebody else praise you and not your own mouth. Listen, it's okay if you, if you, if you look at yourself and you're making a sober, honest assessment and you say, I know I'm pretty good at talking to people. I know that I'm a, I'm a caring person. I know that about myself. It's okay if you say, I know that um, I can be with a group of people and I can get them to laugh 
and uh, I'm, I can communicate well. It's okay to say that about yourself. You don't need to tell other people that you know that. But you, you don't need to be beating yourself down. You need to be confident in what you can do, your giftings. It's okay if you say, I know I can sing. The Lord gave me a voice to be able to sing, right? Or I'm, I can sing okay. It's okay to do that. It's okay to say, I know that I'm strong and I'm fast. And I could probably play basketball with some kids and, and kind of win their hearts and be able to give them the gospel. It's okay to look at yourself and take an honest, sober assessment. And it's also okay to look at yourself and say, I am absolutely terrified of talking to people. I want people to get saved, but I am, I mean, it freaks me out. I can't do it. It's okay to look at yourself and say, I have these weaknesses. I can't teach. I can't sing. Uh, you know, he, she's pretty, I'm ugly. <laughs> you know, it's okay to look at yourself and just recognize what you're working with, okay? It's also okay to look at yourself and say, I've got a real problem with pride and arrogance. Because guess what? If we look at a, a scale of like humility and pride, we want to be kind of like in the middle or more towards humility. But there's, certain, there's a certain amount of confidence that it's okay for you to have as a Christian and knowing what God has gifted you with, but you give all the glory to him for what you're able to do. But when you're over here in the section of pride, guess what? You can be pr proud in a couple of different ways. You can be proud in, in, in the sense of you, you, are, you are good and you know it. And, uh, and you like to dominate other people. And, um, and you, you want everybody to look up to you and like you. And, and, and those that don't like you, you're going to put them in their place. And that arrogance, God hates that. But guess what? There's another form of pride. It's the form of pride of self-loathing. Constantly looking at yourself and thinking of all of your shortcomings, all of your failures, and then highlighting those. And every time you get around somebody and they start talking about something that you do or something uh, like that, then you're always putting yourself down. You know what that is. That's false humility and it's pride. And always putting yourself down. Or when somebody compliments you and you can't take a compliment, you beat yourself up when they try to say something nice about you. That's pride. We need to take a sober look at ourselves, take an assessment, and say, I just need to look at what God has given me to work with. These are my gifts. These are, what I can, these are things that I can do. And I want to take that and use that for the Lord. But it is not wrong to say that I am undone before the Lord. I am sinful and I'm failing in some areas. And we need to be humbled and broken by our sin. And by the sins of our people that are around us. The sins of the family and of the nation. His confession, it, it, it was followed by cleansing. When that seraphim came with that coal off the altar and touched his lips, it, it took away his iniquity. His sin was purged. Now, the only thing that can do that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That pictures, that represents what Jesus Christ did in his sacrifice for sin. He's the only one that can purge our sin. And we need to come before God and do that. It was mentioned this morning in Sunday school, should we confess our sins every day and why? Yes, we should. And we do it not because we think it's right. We do it because it's what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. What does it mean to walk in the light? This is what it means to walk in the light. As you go throughout your day, and as you sin, as you sin in thought, word, and deed, or you were supposed to do something, the Holy Spirit said, witness to that person, give them a track, invite them to church, do something that you can do. 
Listen, if you're not real good with words, don't make people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> you know? If the Holy Spirit wants you to say something, say it. But maybe you're trying to go out there and be Mr. Personality, and you're not. Maybe you're like me. But you have your way of witnessing, and you do that, and the Holy Spirit tells you to do it, and you don't do it. Guess what? You've sinned by omission. You've omitted something you should have done. As we're walking in the light, we're confessing our sins when we sin. That is walking in the light. And therefore, because we desire to have fellowship with the Lord, we don't want it to be broken. And you can walk in unbroken, unhindered fellowship with the Lord day after day in doing that. We do it because the Bible tells us to do it so that we stay in fellowship with the Lord. We do it because we want to be used by the Lord to bring people to Christ so that God is glorified. To kidnap children from the devil and take them to the Lord. That's why we do it. You know, after he was cleansed, you know what the Lord did? He called him. He said, who will go? Who will go? And he said, here am I. He didn't say, here am I because I'm the best man for the job. He said, here am I because I'm broken over my sin and I'm broken over the sins of my nation. And I will go because I've seen the Lord, the holiness of the Lord, high and lifted up. He dwells in a light that is so bright that a man can't approach to it. You'd die. He dwells in a light that's so bright that apparently these seraphim are burning all the time in front of him. These fiery ones. Isaiah himself recognizes he's unclean, he's undone. What about everybody else? We're all unclean and undone. And he recognizes the Lord wants me to go and to call people to repentance because the Lord wants people to go to heaven with him. And so he says, I will go. And then after the call, and he responds, raises his hand, there's a commission. And he says, go and, do you see it there? Tell. Go and tell. That's what we need to do, folks. We need to go and tell. The easiest thing in the world to do is to tell about what happened to you. Everybody loves a personal story. Go and tell what happened to you. If you look at yourself and you realize, I, I want to pass out if I talk in front of somebody. I start sweating. I can't think straight. I'm weird. Maybe the Lord will help you with that. But you know what anybody can do? Anybody, anybody can take this and say, would you come to church with me next Sunday? Or give this, say, hey, we, we meet over there in Racine and we want to invite you to our church. Anybody can do that. If you can't do anything else, you just do this, you just, just that, and, and then run away. Just throw it down somewhere, leave it on a shelf, leave it in a restroom. If you can't do anything else, anybody can do that. Leave it in a rental car, put it in a letter, something like that. God uses that. Come and pass out trick-or-treat candy with tracks in it. What I'm saying is this, though. You and I need to get real with ourselves and keep it real at home. When you and I get alone with the Lord, I'm almost done, but please, please follow me on this. This is what we need, folks. You and I need to get alone with God. We don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. We are the temple. And when we pray and we come before God, we come before his throne somehow, mysteriously. Get alone before God and say, God, purge my life like never before. Cleanse me and use me and show me what I can do. There ought to be visitors in church every Sunday. There ought to be baptisms in this church every month. And it's not a, I can't do it all. I want to do more. Believe me, God has convicted me big time. 
I want to do more, and I want to, I want to create opportunities for people to evangelize, and I'm not doing a very good job in that. I'm not doing a very good job in visiting people. I've cooled off on the Lord. I'm just talking about humbling yourself and getting real with God. And you know what? I don't walk around all day long guilty. I'm walking in the light. I confess my sin. But it's when I allow sin to just go, and I use, I use 1 John 1, 9 like it's a, a license to sin, and, and I don't really have any intention of repenting of it, letting it go. When I do that, then I walk around guilty. That's been my experience. But I walk around with the joy of the Lord when I'm doing these things. And that's what we want. And we want God's good hand on our lives. So we've got to be reminded about this thing. And listen, if, you were, if, if last year you didn't bring somebody to Jesus Christ, that's a failure. This year needs to be different. Okay? This year needs to be different. We ought to be able to pray at least one soul into heaven a year. I'm trying to close, folks. I am, but I'm being sensitive to the Lord. When Isaiah went out and preached, you know what happened? You know what the result of his ministry was? Their necks got harder. They stiffened up. Their hearts got harder. They resisted his word. It fell on deaf ears. That was the result of his ministry. Man, that'd be discouraging, wouldn't it? No results. I mean, he had a remnant that came back from Babylon. But listen, we're told that if we go out to preach the gospel, some will believe. That is what God's doing. Every day people are getting saved. We need to get in on it. So are you in on this thing? Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll have our hymn, uh, closing hymn here. But with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I put the pressure on you this morning. And believe me, folks, the pressure is on me. It's on all of us. I put the pressure on this morning. And the right response would be before the Lord. Say, Lord, I want you to cleanse my life. I want you to take away everything that's not pleasing to you. I want you to show me. I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from all my sin. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me be, be the kind of Christian that confesses and then also forsakes. And with your help, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to go and tell. Use me. Here, here's a good prayer. Lord, use me to lead somebody to Christ. Somebody that's, that's easy. They're ready to get saved. Low-hanging fruit that's just ripe and ready to be picked. Show me somebody that's just ready to be saved and help me to go and tell and to bring them to Christ. Bring them to church so they can hear the gospel. Help me to do what you want me to do, Lord. Give me somebody that's ready to be saved so I might be able to know that I have personally been used by the Lord to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. Don't you want to take someone to heaven with you? Dear Lord, we thank you for this message. Thank you for this good service this morning. I thank you for your people. God, uh, I pray, Father, that you'd help us. Lord, I look forward to more fruitful days. Lord, we want, we want to set up a rescue shop, as C.T. Studd said, within a yard of hell. But we want to 
We want to be used to bring people to Christ. I pray that you'd use us for that. I pray, Lord, that you'd have mercy on us. There's sin in the camp. There's things in our, in our fellowship that are not pleasing to you. God, deal with us in mercy. Cleanse and purge and prepare us for greater, greater usefulness in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. What's our song? 484, if you need to be saved this morning, didn't talk much about that, but if you're not saved, you can come ahead at this time. If you just need somebody to pray with you, say, I need somebody to agree with me in prayer. I'm really struggling, and I want to do something for the Lord. You can come ahead at this time.